Welcome to the Pharmacy Quality Solutions Quality Corner Show, where we believe that quality measurement leads to better outcomes. Let us become your go-to source for all things related to quality and medication use in healthcare. We will hit on trending health topics as they relate to performance measurements and find common ground for payers and practitioners. We will discuss how the Equip platform can help you with your performance goals, and we will also make sure to keep you up to date on pharmacy quality news. So buckle up and put your thinking cap on. The Quality Corner Show starts now. Hello, Quality Corner Show listeners. This is your host, Nick Dorich, and we welcome you to episode one of season two of the Quality Corner Show. For this new season, we wanted to start with a series of episodes devoted to a central topic. And after going into month nine of a nationwide pandemic, nationwide and global pandemic, we felt it was best to touch upon mental health and mental health awareness. The World Economic Forum COVID Action Platform released a report in September 2020 showing that over a quarter of U.S. adults have reported feeling depressed as a result of the coronavirus pandemic. Meanwhile, the American Psychological Association also shared that more than 50% of Americans have reported that COVID-19 has had a negative impact on their own mental health. With numbers like these, we felt not only is it an important time to have a mental wellness check, but we thought we should talk with a few experts about mental health care. So with that, we're going to look at our next few episodes talking about mental health, depression, and how pharmacists can play a role for this important topic. Our first episode, starting today, is going to be devoted to answer the question, how do we, as pharmacists, fill the gaps in mental health care? I'm going to now introduce our guest for today's episode, and that is Tawny Smith, PharmD, Associate Professor of Psychiatry at the University of Texas at Austin Dell Medical School. Tawny, welcome to the Quality Corner Show. Thanks for having me. Um, I wanted to let you know how much I appreciate that you're kicking off your season with a mental health topic. Obviously, it's an area that's near and dear to my heart. Um, and we're definitely seeing an increase in stress as the pandemic continues on and reports of record numbers of people seeking mental health care treatment. Um, and in our clinics, we are full. Um, and so I think that this is a, it's a really timely and important topic. It's a timely and important topic, Tawny, absolutely. And one of the best things that we can do as I've spoken with experts, people more informed about this than myself is merely or just providing that introduction, providing people a way to acknowledge that this is something that exists and that they can find help, that they can seek others that are able to, to share and to help them. So we're going to do that today. I'm, and you know, for that, I'm really appreciative that you're joining the episode. Before we get into our questions and our topic of discussion, uh, I gave a brief introduction of who you are and where you work, but do you mind explaining for, your, for our audience uh, your background and your career in pharmacy? Yeah, sure. So after finishing my PharmD, uh, I went on to do a specialty residency in psychiatric pharmacy. Um, and then uh, because I'm a glutton for punishment, decided to complete a two-year fellowship in mental health outcomes as well. Uh, I'm a board certified psychiatric pharmacist. And this basically means that I have specialized training, skills, and knowledge in the area of psychiatric pharmacy. In my day-to-day -day clinical work, I run a psychopharmacology consult service at our psychiatric hospital, but I also provide care in the outpatient realm as well. And so in our bipolar, our treatment-resistant depression, and women's reproductive mental health specialty clinics here at UT Health Austin. Um, but another big part of my job is educating learners of all different disciplines. So this ranges from students at the university to our psychiatry residents 
and even a little educating of my fellow faculty members at the med school. And I also spend a good bit of time educating folks in our community, um, as well as patients and care partners. Thank you, Tony. That's a lot that you're doing <laughs> and uh, quite quite the introduction. So I'm really glad that we have you here to share your experience and how you've interacted with other healthcare providers and patients about this important topic. With that, we're going to go ahead and jump into today's questions. And as a reminder for our listeners, we're, we're going to cover three primary topics or questions related to this topic. Uh, Tawny's going to provide her responses, and then we'll have a wrap up for today's episode. Starting with question number one, we're going to start talking about medications for mental health and how pharmacists can play a role. We do know that managing medications is the primary role of the pharmacist, but we're going to talk specifically the mental health aspect. And when a patient is starting a new therapy related to treatment for, for mental health, they should be working with their pharmacist or their pharmacist as part of a larger care team to learn about the medication and what to expect with that treatment. So whether it's a clinical pharmacist in a healthcare or an acute care setting or embedded with the prescriber's office, or if it's that pharmacist working in the community space, uh, what does a pharmacist need to consider? What are the major counseling points that they should be reviewing with these patients uh, when it does come to mental health and medication use? Yeah, so in addition to some basic counseling points that we would do for any medication, like the name of the drug, the dose, how to take it, I think it's really important to set up expectations, like you said, around the use of the medication. And for me personally, I want to make sure I'm setting up expectations about when the medication is going to start working. So, you know, when is the patient expected to start to feel better? Um, how long the patient may need to be on the medication? Um, so mental illnesses or most of them are chronic diseases. Um, and so this may be kind of long-term treatment for them. Um, and the importance of taking that medication every day. So these aren't medicines that work um, kind of as needed for the most part um, and do require kind of daily administration in order for them to, to do, it, do it what it is they're supposed to do. And lastly, of course, are any potential side effects. And with side effects, um, we're letting patients know those common side effects to expect. That's kind of a normal part of our counseling. Um, and then, you know, discussing black box warnings or serious side effects that can occur. I like to frame it in a way that describes how likely that side effect is to happen and balance that between warning and scaring the patient. And so you don't want to scare the patient, just kind of reading off all those things. So that's why I like to frame it in like, how likely um, is this to happen? But also I like to let the patient know what they need to do if it does happen. So, uh, you know, if it's Something that's a serious side effect is that require that they seek treatment right away, you know, if they start to experience those symptoms. But I also want to share with them kind of the importance of the monitoring. So if it's a medication that may impact their kidneys, I'm going to tie that with the importance of getting laboratory monitoring so that the patients are understanding that that's going to be an important part of their treatment with this particular medication. Um, my guess is that some of these are things that you're, the pharmacists um, listening today do the majority of the time as a part of their standard counseling practices. But I think the other thing I want to emphasize is that there's a lot of stigma that surrounds mental health and mental health care. Um, and as healthcare providers, we are not immune um, to this stigma. There's been numerous studies that have shown us that the the care that we provide to our mentally ill patients is different than those without a mental illness. Sometimes it's, it may not even be something that we're aware of that we're doing. So it's more of an implicit bias. 
Um, but it's really important that all of our patients receive the same similar counseling points. So there's all the stigma that patients, their families feel about taking psychiatric medications. And we may have to talk to our patients kind of about that. Uh, I often find myself talking and providing education to patients and their families about how we shouldn't view, view the, the need for treatment of psychiatric disorders any differently than the need to address a physical illness like diabetes. But by having these types of conversations with our patients, I think we can be part of the solution on reducing stigma around mental health and mental health treatment. Tawny, thanks for covering all of that information and particularly ending on the idea around stigma and how we as providers, whether it's the pharmacist or our other staff technicians, other support staff in the pharmacy, how we address that. Before we get into our next topic, I do want to ask you a follow-up. And while we're talking about the medication specifically, that's why we wanted to bring you on. I also take it that you're going to have expertise and experience related to addressing those stigmas. So let's say that you're a pharmacy staff member working with an organization, and that is something where you want to help your staff members understand and remove some of those implicit biases or reduce um, some of that outward expression of the stigmatizing around mental health and mental health diseases. How would you recommend a pharmacy team, a pharmacy staff looking into educating their team members about that topic? Some of the issues around stigma uh, are related to kind of an uncomfortableness about the diseases themselves, or maybe even our knowledge about the medications that we use to treat those diseases. And what they've shown is that kind of exposure to the um, mentally ill population at large, like the more exposure that we have and the more interaction that we have with patients, the, the lower the stigma becomes. Um, so I think it's sometimes it's like kind of the fear of the unknown. Um, we may perceive mentally ill patients and, you know, speaking more of like someone with a, you know, say a primary psychotic disorder, People with a primary psychotic disorder are often viewed as dangerous, but the majority of patients with schizophrenia, for instance, are not dangerous. They're not, um, they're not aggressive, they're not dangerous, um, but yet all patients um, get treated that way. Um, and so I think just uh, having experience and working with that patient population, being open to learning about working with that population and, and having more comfort in providing that care for that patient population. Thanks for that response, Tawny. Question one, uh, we'll put an end cap on that, and that focused on the major points of conversation, how a pharmacist works with a patient with mental health disease. Uh, for community pharmacists in particular, when having these interactions, conversations with patients, it's likely going to focus on the topic of medication adherence. You already pointed to that in part of your answer for question one. The importance is taking that medication as prescribed. Obviously, the clinical benefit of taking the medication as prescribed is there. There can also be side effects or detrimental effects if a patient is taking that medication not as prescribed or um, missing, missing fills, missing days in that therapy. From your perspective, and thinking from a community pharmacist, what are your recommendations? How do they help manage and set clear expectations for when they are, are having that conversation, they're providing that counseling to the patient about their medication? 
Nick, I'm really glad that you brought up adherence. Um, adherence is a major area of concern um, in our mentally ill population. And this is definitely an area that community pharmacists can really help make an impact. As I mentioned before, most of our mental health conditions are chronic disease states that require daily use of medication or medications um, in order to treat and address those symptoms. They're not cures. And so they're really kind of managing those symptoms. And as I just mentioned, adherence is often a challenge for our mentally ill population. And as pharmacists, we are experts in providing our patients with strategies to improve adherence. So things like setting up a pillbox or setting reminders, those may seem like very simple, basic things, um, but can be really, we know can be really impactful um, and, and easy for us to, to make those recommendations kind of in our routine, in our routine care. We do know that a patient's decision whether to take or not take a medication can be multifactorial. So there's a lot of things that, that go into that. And generally speaking, it's related to tolerability and efficacy. Um, and this, is, this applies to our mentally ill population as well. We know that more disturbing side effects can lead to treatment discontinuation. Um, and the medications that we use in psychiatry are not deficient in side effects, uh, for sure. Um, as an example, um, SSRIs can increase anxiety when they're first started. So that's one of those early side effects that we may see with them. But what I've found is that when I let or warn patients about this and what to expect and when that should go away, it actually makes them more likely to stick with treatment. So I've had patients tell me, had you not told me that, I would have stopped the medication. And, you know, and, and when we think about it, like SSRIs, like, you know, many of them are approved for use in anxiety disorders um, and, and are considered first-line agents. So, you know, it's kind of letting our patients know what to expect with that. But, you know, it's also important to let them know if it's intolerable, um, doesn't see, you know, the side effect doesn't seem to be getting any better. So, you know, give us a call and, and let us know if we can help troubleshoot with that. In the community setting, um, if you get a call from a patient who has concerns about side effects that they're experiencing, um, if it's not something you're able to kind of troubleshoot in that moment and help out, um, certainly encouraging that patient to reach out to their provider before just stopping the medication. Um, and of course, if it's a, you know, a more severe side effect, then referring them to the emergency department or more urgent care. Um, in regards to efficacy, um, many of the medications we use to treat mental illnesses don't work right away. So we need to set up some expectations um, around when they may start to work. Um, for instance, kind of going back to antidepressants as an example, um, it's often two weeks or more before the patient may begin to see therapeutic benefit with it. And two to three months before they have full remission of symptoms, it's a long time um, that it takes these medications to work. And so if you have a patient who's expecting that their depression is going to completely resolve overnight or after a couple doses of the medication, they may feel really discouraged and give up on the medication too early. And this definitely happens. And so when you look at the literature kind of at large and look at adherence and depression, roughly a third of patients, depressed patients, stop taking their medication within the first month. So they get that first refill and they never go to get that second refill um, of medication. So adherence is a huge problem um, in our depression population. And actually, um, they're three times more likely to be non-adherent with medications than the general population. But, I mean, you can't blame them. So here they are experiencing all of these side effects initially. Um, they're not noticing any benefit. And you can see where it's easy for a patient to give up on a medication um, early on. 
And so I think really setting these expectations of the starter treatment is important. And so this is one of the important counseling points that I make sure that I'm covering uh, with my patient. The other thing that I see is um, after a patient's symptoms get better, adherence starts to get a little more spotty. Um, and I think that this often is, you know, they may think that they don't need the medication anymore. It's, it's not dissimilar to what we see with antibiotics, right? So people start to feel better. And then that course of antibiotics isn't finished, even though they were supposed to continue taking it for the next, you know, seven to 10 days. Sometimes in, with mental illness, it could be due to a lack of insight. So they don't think that they need the medication. Um, and sometimes it's because they don't understand what the importance of that continued medication may be. Um, I've had many patients over the years tell me that they're feeling great and they didn't believe that they needed to take the medication anymore. And so then they, therefore, they just go ahead and stop it. But when we're talking about individuals with a serious mental illness, so things like bipolar or schizophrenia, these are patients that are much more likely to need indefinite treatment um, as none of our medications, as I said, are cures. And so if the medication stopped, it's very likely that those symptoms are going to return. But again, going back to depression, uh, the recommendation is for patients to continue their antidepressant six to 12 months past the time that their symptoms go away. Um, and the reason for this is, is that if it stops before that time period, it's much more likely for their depression to come back. So that continued treatment is really important um, when we're thinking about treating someone for depression. And this is, it's an important counseling point because I often feel like this is the one that gets missed. So this is the one that providers often are not letting patients know and kind of setting up that expectation from the get-go that it's likely for, you know, their first or second episode of depression they're going to need probably one year of continued antidepressant treatment. Uh, the last point I want to want to make sure that I talk about regarding adherence is in, uh, in relation to the community pharmacist um, is communication with the prescribing partners. Uh, so it's not uncommon for community pharmacists to have more frequent contact with the patient than the prescriber, especially as we get into kind of maintenance treatment. So it may be that they're seeing their psychiatrist every three months um, or longer. And when we're having that more frequent contact with our patients, we get to know them um, pretty well during that time. And I think this really puts you in a unique position to identify when symptoms maybe aren't as well managed um, as they might have been at other times. Prescribers are horrible, horrific um, at guessing their patients' adherence. We often overestimate it. Um, but as a community pharmacist, you are armed with prescription refill data. And you know when the patients are coming in or when they're not coming in to get those prescriptions. And so if the patient hasn't been getting their refills regularly and their symptoms don't seem to be as well managed as other times, I'd really encourage you to reach out to the provider or the prescriber um, and let them know what you're seeing, what your concerns are about adherence. At least with the prescribers that I work with, I know that they would really appreciate this partnership because honestly, it takes a village um, in helping to take care of these patients. Tony, thanks for the response. A lot of details to cover there, and it's all important context, right? Uh, you go back to the former Surgeon General quote, and medications don't work, and people that don't take them could not be more true when it comes to mental health and the medications. The importance that you let us off with on understanding, okay, you're starting a new medication, it's going to have an impact on your body and, and on your mind, specifically identifying what's the expected course for treatment, expecting what could be side effects. And if you do experience those side effects as the patient, it doesn't mean 
stop and move on means contact your pharmacist, contact your prescriber. What is manageable? Do we need to look at dosing, a change in therapy, et cetera? Because ultimately we started that therapy for a reason to help the patient. We still want to help that patient, but we may need to change or modify a few things, but let's make that decision together as a collaborative care team and with the patient being informed on why these changes are being made. So that's a lot of great information and the adherence part, very big. Uh, but I do want to take us back in looking at different aspects of mental health and how a pharmacist can contribute to managing that with the patient. And for patients managing their mental health and or depression, there can be differences in how that's done and, and the impact of medication. So patients of a different age can have a different impact. Patients with different disease states or concomitant disease states along with mental health, that can have another impact. There's even more to think about when a patient is pregnant or lactating as it relates to utilizing medication. So there's a lot that we could cover there, and we try to keep these podcasts short. So, Tani, if you don't mind, are there a couple of key points you can share that pharmacists should remember when they're counseling patients um, with some of these unique scenarios when it comes to utilizing medication for mental health? Yeah, so my, my guess is, is that questions about psychotropic use in pregnancy and lactation is one that many pharmacists, and you know, if I'm being honest, probably many of our prescriber colleagues feel ill-equipped to answer. Um, the data change frequently. It's often conflicting, um, even when there are data, and it can be pretty overwhelming to keep up with, especially um, in the area of, of psychiatry. When we're talking about the use of medications in the perinatal period, which I'll use to shorten the pregnancy lactation <laughs> uh, description, it's, um, it's always about weighing the risks and benefits of treatment. Uh, probably outside the scope of our conversation today, but there are a lot of different factors in our clinic that we take into consideration when we're helping our patients make decisions about the use of medication during the perinatal period. And I want to emphasize that it is a shared decision-making um, that we're doing in that process. So we provide them with the information but we're making that decision together. Um, and so, and ultimately, you know, it's the woman's choice of whether to continue medication um, during pregnancy or, or in the postpartum period. But those factors that we're taking into consideration are going to be different for every single patient. So there's not going to be one set answer that's going to be standard for every single patient. So it really has to be individualized. There is one general rule of thumb, um, and that is that no psychotropic medication is 100% safe in pregnancy. Uh, so that's just, you know, kind of hands down. That's you know, something I can say to every single patient. But really what we're having to, to balance that with is the risks of untreated mental illness. And we know that there are risks that come along with the untreated mental illness um, part of it. And so pregnancy is not protective of mental illness. And there's numerous studies that have shown us that when medications are stopped during pregnancy, that uh, especially when they're stopped abruptly, it's much more likely for symptoms uh, to return. And as a community pharmacist, I think if a patient calls you for advice about whether to continue a medication or not during that perinatal period, what I would encourage that patient to do is to work with their prescriber to make that decision versus recommending that the patient stop the medication because there, there may be consequences that are related to that and other risks that, that may come along with it. There's a great um, website that you can refer patients to that may have question want more detailed information about what the risks may be. It's called mothertobaby.org. They have fantastic handouts for patients regarding the safety information. Um, they have 
you know, psychotropics in there, but it's actually all different kinds of medications um, in there about use during the perinatal period. They're kept current. It's, you know, it's very up to date with the literature. And I think it's a really great resource for, um, I use it to educate myself as well. Um, so not just for, not just for our, our patients. Tony, thanks for exploring that that topic with us. And I think back to my time working in a community pharmacy and the topics that would make me nervous to speak about or where, yeah, you are a medical provider, you are responsible for managing the patient. I, I don't think there was anything that made me more nervous than uh, the woman uh, pregnant, lactating, lactation, et cetera, and medication use because uh, it becomes very real at that point on the, the impact. Uh, I guess with that general topic and we already hit on some of that resources. You mentioned resource, resources that are important that pharmacists can use. I always think one of the important, most important things I learned as a pharmacist, if you don't know the answer, go and find the right place or the right contact that's there. I, I guess for this type of conversation and discussion, and let's think about it from pregnancy, lactation, um, but for any other states uh, or disease states that may exist, if a pharmacist does have questions and working with the patient, is it best to generally work with the you know prescriber um, that is handling that medication specifically for the for the patient? Uh, there there may be other prescribers or, or providers that that patient is working with. Do you have any general recommendations on how they handle that um, when there there can be other conditions, disease states, et cetera, beyond just the mental health and the medication where that could be related? You know, sometimes we're at a disadvantage in the community setting and not having all the clinical information and and understanding kind of the decisions behind um, selection of medications uh, for patients. And so, you know, I, I think I would just continue to encourage pharmacists to reach out to those providers to have that discussion and, and to understand kind of the rationale behind like what the treatment course is for that patient. You know, of course, we're going to have prescribers, some that are more um, welcoming of that conversation um, than others and others that are maybe don't appreciate <laughs> the questioning nearly as much. But I've found that, you know, if I can understand um, what their thinking is behind or rationale behind things, uh, maybe they have information that I'm not privy to um, regarding their decision making, that at least having that dialogue with the, uh, with the provider about it. Thank you, Tony. That's helpful, helpful insight. So we appreciate that. So that wraps up our three questions, believe it or not. We sped through those and hope you're feeling pretty good about that, that experience. I know for, for myself, it's been a while since I've gone really in depth on mental health and how pharmacists play into that and some of the major points. So I, I think I really learned something today. I hope our audience has the same. We're, we're now at the point of the episode where we get into something that's a little bit more, more fun and more lighthearted, more kind of personal, perhaps for our guest. And uh, we, we started talking about mental health and the impact for, for people because of COVID. Um, so I know for myself, one of the things that I really miss uh, because of COVID, uh, it's been, been impacted because of COVID is I typically like going to concerts, music festivals. That's how I spend a lot of my time. And when I think about music, live music, uh, I know there's one place, that being Austin, Texas, that has been described as the live music capital of the world. Some great festivals, South by Southwest, Austin City, City Limits, which I had the opportunity to enjoy a couple of years ago. Um, so from your perspective, what's it been like in being in Austin, being in Texas, where things are really different this year from, from COVID? And then, you know, adding on to that, what, what else do you miss and what else are you looking forward to uh, coming back in the not so distant future? 
Yeah, COVID has definitely impacted our music scene. Um, and I think you know a lot of the venues and as well as the musicians themselves are really struggling. Um, and from it's it's been a huge financial impact. And you know, going back to South by Southwest, uh, it was it's a it's massive. I, I don't know how else to describe it. It it takes over the city. It's not just downtown, it's the whole the whole city is is involved <laughs> um with South by Southwest, but you know, it's not just the music festival. I think, um, you know, people that are here, or, you know, have never attended, don't realize that there's also a comedy and film portion um, to the festival as well. And there's a, a conference that um, comes before the, the festival uh, starts that all talks about kind of innovative um, practices and, you know, in, in all of these areas. So I'm not going to lie. There's a lot of my fellow Austinites that kind of avoid all things South by Southwest <laughs> and maybe even vacate the city during South by. Um, but you know, it's, it, it is a true invasion, but the festival itself is really a phenomenal experience. Um, probably going to make myself seem cooler than what I actually am, but it does, you know, it attracts people from all over the world. So it's, it's an amazing experience just from that perspective to, you know, interact with people from all over the country and all over the world. And I, and I often, um, you know, like I said, I'm probably not as, as cool as I might seem with this uh, work often gets in the way of participating in a lot of the, the activities, but I do like to take at least one day off um, during South by and go and enjoy um, a lot of the free shows and activities that go on um, during that time. And so certainly we weren't able to do, you know, do any of that this year. Um, I think, you know, there was at that time, there was a lot of, um, I guess, questions about whether the planners had done the right thing uh, with it. And, uh, you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty with those things. They absolutely did the right thing. It could have been devastating uh, for our city had had we allowed people from all over the world um, to come in and, and you know, potentially spread COVID um, around. You know, at that time, we had very few cases, which is where all the questioning kind of came in with it. Um, but that that could have been a very different scenario uh, for us had the had the festival uh, continued on. So it was the it was the right decision for our community um, to do that. Uh, you know, it hurts a little like to not not have those things. ACL was canceled this year as well. Um, but I do look forward to the return of some of those things at some point in the future. So hopefully we can we can get some of those things back. Well, you heard it here, folks. Uh, Tawny Smith, uh, <laughs> mental health expert, but also very cool pharmacist that attends music festivals in Austin, Texas. Uh, Tawny, uh, really appreciate you being on the show today. This was really informative, and I'm glad we we got to um, enjoy a laugh, you know, here with this this as well um, as we as we covered this topic. And uh, I'm looking forward to covering more of this topic with our future um, podcast and guests on the show. But you provided an excellent overview to get us started, so I cannot thank you enough for that. Uh, if our listeners have more questions about this topic and want to learn more uh, about mental health, medication use for mental health, how they can really be an advocate, is there a way that they can reach out to you or, or contact you with any questions? Yeah, sure. Um, so you can, of course, find me on the, um, the UT Del Med website. Um, so my contact information is there. Um, but reaching out via email is fine. It's tawny.smith at austin.utexas.edu. And welcome that communication. Thank you, Tony. We hopefully, I'm hoping that uh, many folks do reach out to you. Don't want to overload your inbox too much there, but I'm sure there'll be many that have questions. Uh, while we close out 
episode one of season two of the Quality Corner Show. And this is the first episode we have on a series dedicated to mental health. Uh, I do hope you come back, listeners, for our next few weeks as we cover more about this topic. Uh, Our team does also want to take this time to highlight the crisis text uh, hotline. So you can text hello to 741741. The, the crisis text hotline, it's available 24 hours a day, seven days a week throughout the United States. And the crisis text hotline serves anyone, any type of crisis, connect them with a crisis counselor who can provide support and information. There's other options out there that include the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255. Uh, or you can uh, chat online at suicidepreventionlifeline.org slash chat. Uh, Physicians and providers can also get support by calling 1-888-409-0141. There's a lot of resources out there. We hope to cover many of them to help pharmacists and other providers work with their patients. But uh, for now, we're going to go ahead and close out our episode. We'll look forward to providing more information and more education about this important topic of mental health in future episodes. So with that, we do have one final message for today's episode from the PQS team. The Pharmacy Quality Solutions Quality Corner Show has a request for you. Our goal is to spread the word about how quality measurement can help improve health outcomes, and we need your help in sharing this podcast to friends and colleagues in the healthcare industry. We also want you to provide feedback, ask us questions, and suggest health topics you'd like to see covered. If you are a health expert and you want to contribute to the show or even talk on the show, please contact us. You can email info at pharmacyquality.com. Let us know what is on your mind, what we can address so that you are fully informed. We want you to be able to provide the best care for your patients and members, and we wish all of you listeners out there well.